I want to take you to Israel. And not today. I want to go back in time to 30 AD. I want you to join me on the evening of Passover. It's like this now. It's near midnight. It's been a really full day. The city is packed with people. I don't know how people get things done with this many people in the city. The streets were literally lined up shoulder to shoulder. And the temple, lines were all the way at the gates of everybody wanting to get their lamb sacrificed in time so they could roast it whole and have the Passover meal together. Shopkeepers love Passover because every shop is filled with buyers from all over the region. Everybody who's anybody wants to be in Jerusalem at Passover. Today was no exception. It's remarkable when you think about it, all those spices that have to be bought and the fruit and the unleavened bread and and then during the day, all those things that you want to just get as gifts for children and grandchildren coming in. I mean, Passover is a marvelous time, always very cheerful. And this year, no exception. It, it was amazing. And the weather's been just perfect. Blue skies, few high clouds, gentle breezes, spring of the year. It was wonderful. And tonight, 2,000 years ago, on this night, there was a full moon, but then because Passover follows the lunar calendar, it always is the full moon on Passover. So even at night, it's very bright. You can't see them all now because they've gone to sleep for the most part. After all, it's very late and they've had a full day. But the hills around Jerusalem and every valley is a campsite. Rumor has it that over 250,000 lambs were killed a day. And that means if there's one lamb for every 10 people, somewhere in these hills and in these valleys are two and a half million people goodness I'm amazed I'm an Oklahoman and there's only three and a half million in our whole state but on this day 2,000 years ago in the city of Jerusalem the hillsides were alive with people all wanting to get in to the city some point to be able to worship the Passover it's an amazing time and and it's amazing for a lot of reasons it's it's festive because everybody likes to be with family and everybody likes to eat and the central part of passover is a special meal to remember the night god set the children of israel free from bondage in egypt there was a lamb that night too he had to be slain and his blood put on the doorpost in the little of the house and so even tonight as all of jerusalem celebrates the passover they're remembering an exodus, a freeing, a redeeming from the land of bondage to become the people of God. It would have been a most remarkable night. If you like the smell of smoked meat, and goodness, who doesn't? Passover is the time to be in Jerusalem. Can you imagine 200,000 lambs being grilled all over the city? <laughs> the aroma, uh, it still lingers in the night air, and it was wonderful. It's quite a place, this thing called Passover. This year there was an added attraction. That, that rabbi from Nazareth, he's made a real stir in the whole region. Everybody's heard about him. Goodness, he does great miracles. It's even rumored that he, rose, uh, he was able to raise some folks from the dead. We've never, we've never seen anything like that. He, he could touch lepers and heal them. And he, he would speak to people with palsy and let them be whole again. He healed a paralytic for crying out loud. And goodness, his teaching is absolutely phenomenal. Whenever he speaks, people sit on the, stand on the edge of, of their tiptoes wanting to hear the next word. He, he's a master of, of word pictures. His parables are so memorable, they stick in your mind, and you just can't get rid of them. And boy, when he goes toe-to-toe with the teachers of the law, he comes out, <laughs> his knowledge of Scripture, it's as if he wrote it. 
He knows it word for word, and he speaks it with such authority that when he speaks, even the religious men back away because they thought, we've never met a man like this man. Many came to Passover in hopes of seeing him because they had heard about him, and goodness, Passover lasts for eight days, so maybe sometime during this festival we'll be able to see him or hear him, or maybe he'll even do a miracle, and we'll be in the crowd right where he is when it happens. He had had quite a week, this Jesus, He came in the city on Sunday on the back of a burrow and a whole parade formed. In fact, it said that people laid down palm branches and some took off their outer cloaks and laid down for the burrow just to walk across as a way of homage and honor to this rabbi. As he came down from the Mount of Olives and through the Eastern Gate, people lined up and shouted things like, Hosanna, save now, the Messiah. Those are terms that are endearing to Jews and frightening to Romans. Hosanna. Hosanna to the one who comes in the name of the Lord. It was quite a stirring moment. And then after he entered the city, he went out again somewhere. We're not sure. I think it was in Bethany where he he had a friend named Lazarus who had two sisters, Mary and Martha. And it's rumored that that's where he stayed when he was in Jerusalem most of the time. So we assume that's where he was. And then Sunday, Monday came and he went back to the temple and boy, did he create a stir. He went into the temple and for the second time he cleansed it. He threw over the tables of money changers and he opened the cages of the animals and he took a whip and drove out those who were bartering in his name at exorbitant prices to extort the people of money they didn't even have. All in the name of religion. He said, my father's house, my father's house, he was not happy. My father's house shall be called a house of prayer. You've made it nothing more than a den of thieves. Well... I can tell you that didn't sit well. It was amazing when he did that, that the people were drawn to him and the religious leaders despised him because he's about to affect their income. If you want to make people mad, you deal with their cash. And they'll want to kill you. And that's exactly what the religious leaders wanted to do to Jesus. But they had to find just cause They had no authority in the Jewish law to kill a man now because the Romans had taken away the privilege of capital punishment from Jewish leadership. But that didn't mean they weren't looking for a way to get Rome to conspire with them to get this rabbi out of their way. Jesus had done some marvelous things during this week of teaching. I I wish I could remember all of the things he said and, and I wish you could have been there to hear him. I never heard anybody teach like him. I remember he told one of the stories one day, I think it was Tuesday in the temple. He he told the story about a wedding feast and a king who had a son who's going to get married. He he, he sent out the slaves to invite the servants of the king, went out to invite all the people of the kingdom. Come to this banquet feast for my son. And they laughed and said, we're far too busy. You know how religious people are. We don't have time for those things. We've got to make a living. We've got sports to attend. We've got things to do. And the king said, but it's my son. And they mocked the servants and they said, we don't have time. The king was not at all happy. So he withdrew the invitation from all those that should have been in the room, the religious ones. And he said, you go out to where the gates of the city come together and the intersections of highways and byways come together. And you invite every person that's not in the kingdom to come to this banquet. And you invite them, compel them to come in. And you know what? When he began to tell it, the religious leaders realized, you're taking a shot at us. You're saying we won't be in the banquet? We're the religious of Israel. 
He said, yes, and you stoned the prophets and killed those who came as messengers to tell you to repent and prepare your hearts for the Christ. Boy, he's now taking shots and they're landing like rifle bullets on a target. And they get it. And they say to him, you're going to get it because you're humiliating us right here on our own turf in the temple. Well, he wasn't finished. One of them came to him and said, do we have to pay taxes to Caesar? You know, people are asking that today. Should we have to support an immoral government? Not a new question. So Jesus said, any of you here have a coin? I do. Take out that coin, he said. I I remember it as if it was yesterday. Whose face is on the front of that coin? Caesar's. You've spoken correctly. Then here's my teaching. You render to Caesar that which is Caesar's and you give to God that which is God's. Boy, I wish you could have seen the look on the face of the Pharisees and the scribes. They kind of went, oh, that's good. But they wouldn't dare say it. Because to admit that was a good answer would admit he's a good teacher. And to admit he's a good teacher means he's not worthy of death. And we cannot give any ground here. And then one of them asked the question that all of them thought because there were so many laws who's going to be able to keep all of the law nobody so when I'm asking a rabbi I have a question regarding the law there were too many laws even the rabbis knew you can't possibly keep all the rules we've set up it's impossible they knew that but that didn't stop them from forcing every one of those on people who wanted to be righteous but all they felt was we're just not good enough Rabbi, which is the greatest commandment? Because you see, the, the, the Jewish leaderships had set up a deal said, if there really is a greatest commandment, maybe that's like an insurance policy that covers all the lesser ones. And if you do the greatest one, it's kind of grace-filled over all the rest. And if you break one of the lesser, at least you fulfill the greatest, which covers it. Pretty good system. If you're going to work out a rule, get one that's all-inclusive for mercy. Rabbi... What is the greatest of all the commandments? I wish you could have heard the people now standing, uh, the people now very quiet, and they're standing on tiptoe to hear what he says to this one. Because, you know, Rabbi sat down, and he was seated there on the steps of the temple, and all the people were standing, hoping to get a glimpse of this. This is a good question. What is the greatest? I wondered myself, because I don't like breaking them, and I just live with guilt all the time. Is there a great commandment? If I can keep it, maybe I can stay in good with God. What did he answer? There really is a greatest commandment. In fact, there are two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. I never heard anything like it. He's a most amazing teacher and a marvelous master. Well... That time's passed. That was, that's all been this week, and now it's the time of Passover. And, and today was very full, not only for Jesus, but for two of his disciples, Peter and John. Jesus was going to do what every Jew did because he was there to fulfill the law, not to break it. And he was going to observe the Passover with his disciples. And so early that morning, he had sent two of the disciples in to kill the lamb that likely had been staying at the home of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Because, you see, you had to pick the lamb on the 10th. That was Monday. He had to kill the lamb on the 14th. That would have been Friday, sometime between 3 and 5. 
And so Jesus was getting ready to go kill the lamb. He said, well, pastor, it's only Thursday. That's right. That's right. You see, in the Jewish system, they even realize there's too many people at Passover, and it's going to work really well because in the northern part of Israel, they celebrated, they celebrated Easter on they celebrated Easter on Thursday, uh, excuse me, they celebrated Passover on Thursday. But in the city, they celebrated Passover on Friday on the southern part of the kingdom. So Galilee would have been celebrating the Passover on Thursday, and Jesus was from Nazareth in the Galilee, as were his disciples. And now they had had their Passover. The, Peter and John had gotten the lamb on, uh, on Monday, and now they were getting ready to offer the lamb. And Jesus had offered the lamb as the lamb was offered on Friday, the Jerusalem Passover. At 3 o'clock he died, and so he met the criterion for a lamb to be slaughtered between twilight, 3 and 5 in the evening. Was something. Jesus was blessed with many friends in Israel, in Jerusalem. They couldn't always let it be known that they were his friend because he was, well, he was a wanted man. Long before this Passover, the Jews had decided already, we got to kill him. And, and people said, well, we know him. They would have been under attack by the very religious leaders who wanted Jesus. And many of them were wealthy. And the last thing you want to do if you're a wealthy person is let the government get aggravated. They'll audit you till you die. And you sure don't want to deal with them in the fury of Rome. And so many of those friends were friends covertly, but they still did mighty good things for Jesus. For instance, I don't know who owned the borough. What was his name? The man who owned the borough that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. I, I don't know. What's the name of the owner of the upper room? I, I don't know. Who owned that garden called Gethsemane? I, I don't know. Jesus had a lot of friends. We don't know. When we get to heaven, we'll know. But they sure did reach out to him with great generosity. One of them had a garden. And the Bible says that's where the disciples went off. And in fact, in John's gospel, it said it was so frequent for them to go there. Judas would know the place where he was on the night he left the upper room. It was a familiar place to the twelve. Jesus was not himself this year. Goodness, all the laughter and festivity and celebration and talking and campfires and people celebrating, but Jesus was not. He just wasn't himself. Maybe you're there this year. You say, you just don't know what I'm going through, and it's hard for me to celebrate this year because my heart's so heavy. If so, you can relate to Jesus, and he surely can relate to you. It says his heart was sorrowful unto death. He was heavy-hearted. His face was downcast. That was not like Jesus at all. What in the world was on his heart? Well, he told the disciples three times, I'm going to Jerusalem, and they're going to bind me and crucify me, and on the third day I'll rise again. But they just didn't, that didn't compute. They thought that must be way out there somewhere, not 30 A.D. But it was. The Bible says he had been sorrowful. I can't imagine all that was on his mind. I sure can't begin to describe it. That's why preachers so often talk about the sweat drops like blood and the cross's physical agony because who of us can fathom the mind of God that was in Christ Jesus and what was on his soul that night? You ever been betrayed by a friend or friends? Boy, I have. I didn't like it. Jesus had walked three years with men that he told them, you are my friends, I've called you friend. 
But those friends sure didn't act like friends the night he needed them most. In fact, it was Judas who was going to betray him with a kiss, the greeting of the East. When you meet somebody, you kiss them on either cheek. And Jesus had offered his own dish to Judas at the Last Supper, knowing Judas was going to be the one who sold him out to the Jews, to, to the Romans to be murdered. Hmm. Peter, God bless Peter, he, he was always loud. He wasn't always right, but he was never in doubt. He, he was loud and long and quick to say what was on his mind. No filters with him. He had been so brash at the supper when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. He said, well, all of these might, but I would never deny you. I'd die for you. And Jesus said, Peter, tonight, before the sounding of the cock crow, you'll, you'll deny me three times. Will not Boy, be careful arguing with God. The Bible says Simon Peter was going to betray Jesus. Can you deny Jesus? Can you imagine? And all those disciples, every one of them were going to flee. Everyone was going to run. You ever really needed your friends and they weren't there for you? Then you know how he felt. And then the very people he came to, to love and to redeem was Israel, the nation of God. And he came to his own. And, and you know what the Bible says? He came to those that he loved in the nation of God. The one that, that Abraham had birthed and Moses had given the law and God had delivered from Egypt. And he'd watched over the very people of God. Now the Messiah, God's anointed, had come. And they said, we don't want you. You're not like what we had in mind. But then the world today says, Trust a rabbi that's 2,000 years ago, please. Give me something more in touch with the present. Same arrogance, same bad decision, for the Christ has come. He came into his own. He came into his own. These are the descendants of Jacob. These are the very children of Israel. These are the 12 tribes that are the chosen. You don't think that was heavy on God's heart? Through Jesus Christ, when that night when he was getting ready to be on trial and crucified, he thought, I've done everything I know to do. In fact, at one point during this week, he got up on the side of the mountain, just a little above where we are now in Gethsemane, just right up there, a little higher pitch where he could see over in the city. And the disciples said he wept. It wasn't just a few tears. I mean, a heavy grieving. If you've ever heard somebody from the East weep, it's that heavy chest-pounding, weeping, beating of your chest. He's weeping over the city. How often I would have brought you to myself like a, a, mother, chick, a mother chicken brings her chicks under her wing, but you would not come. Oh, my. Oh, dear God. that was true of Israel 2,000 years ago, how much greater is the judgment on a land like America where there's a steeple on every church corner? I wanted you so much to come to me. You had too much to do. I was not on your mind. You don't think that's heavy on his heart? Disciples fleeing from him, Judas denying him, betraying him, Peter denying him, Israel rejecting him. And then in the next few hours, he's going to be treated as if he was the most disobedient sinner ever. Consider that. I, I, I'm not a good example. Uh, 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 
I remember as a boy and a young man, as a man, the times I've said things I shouldn't, done things I shouldn't. And I remember when I got caught, how your ears burn and your face turns crimson and your heart feels like it's going to beat out of your chest because suddenly it's obvious I'm guilty. I hate that. But then I'm a sinner. And I've felt that several times in the journey, and you have too. But Jesus... Jesus never had one bad thought. I can't fathom that. He never had one impure motive. Nothing ever came out of his mouth that he had to say, I'm so sorry. (laughs) He never did anything that was worthy of an apology because he never sinned. I I can't imagine. And yet, in the morning at 9 o'clock, he's going to experience all the sins of all the men and women of all the ages of all the earth. He's going to be treated as the worst because he even got a crown for his sin. He was crowned with thorns. That dates back from Eden when Adam sinned. God said, the thorns will infest the ground. This perfect Lamb of God. Who had never, ever, ever sinned was about to drink the dregs of sin as if he was the worst of the worst. And the full wrath of God was going to be poured out on him. So not only would he act, would he be treated as if he was disobedient, which he was not, but he'd be treated that way. Now also God, whose eyes are too pure to look on iniquity, suddenly Jesus would see God's face turn away and he thought, I can't bear that. Jesus is the beloved Son of God, the one in whom he's well pleased of second person of the trinity of the almighty and now the word had been made flesh and dwelt among us capsuled in clay lived in absolute purity totally obedient to the father even obedient unto the death of the cross and on the cross he would experience what every person experiences that moment they hit hell my god my god where are you (laughs) on the cross he felt every anguish of every separated soul from God he would experience God's disfavor he would have then all the wrath of God poured out on him and the one who is the Lord of life would die oh God <laughs> who can fathom? Who can comprehend? Who could possibly wrap their arms around what Christ felt on that night of all nights when he said, My soul is distressed and horrified? No wonder. And so we got to Gethsemane. A wonderful garden. What of you as you look over the walls of Gethsemane? It was a wall garden. Offering restricted access, not because it was a mean place, but because it was a good place. And that night when Jesus got there with 11 of his men, Judas had already defected. Jesus got to Gethsemane. He put 11 men near the gate. Not that they could defend him, but at least there'd be enough of a noise. If the soldiers came early, the men would create a racket and let Jesus know further back in the garden, they're here. So he leaves 11 at the gate. 
takes Peter, James, and John, those men who were with him at, at the rising from the dead of Jairus' daughter, they were with him in that moment of his absolute splendor on the Mount of Transfiguration when they saw him in all of his glory. And now they're with him in the depths of his humanity. He takes those men, Peter, who's the voice always speaking, James and John, who were cousins and beloved disciples, and he said, you men come and you pray here. The eleven are over there, so the garden is deep enough. It has room for them to come back some distance. And he leaves three, and he says, you're going to be my prayer partners. I'm going to go right over there, and I'm going to pray. Now, the Bible says a stone's throw. That just means if you took a rock and just tossed it, it doesn't mean winding up to hit home plate from outfield. He's just right there. The Bible says, please, men, please, men, watch and pray with me so you don't enter into temptation. My soul is sorrowful unto death. If Jesus asks you to do something for him, be careful. It's a loaded question. If Jesus asks you to do something for him, would you do it? The Bible says they just went right there. But Jesus just went another short distance. It's amazing. They heard him cry. The, 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 the word is he lashed out. He, he erupted in a, in a deep, deep soul-searching cry to God. This wasn't a quiet, Father, if it be your will. He's, he's crying out into the night. It's an anguish. It's the burden of all these things that I've described and more. And suddenly he cries out, but he does something that the Jews said was blasphemy. For he didn't say, oh God of our father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the ruler of Israel... The God of Moses and Elijah, he didn't do that. Jesus is the Son of God. No matter how old you are as a son, when you're really truly broken and hurting, you run to your parents if they're still living. And whether it's your mom or daddy, you revert to that eight-year-old mama. Daddy. <laughs> Jesus, it says, fell on his face and cried out, Abba, it's the word Papa. <laughs> if we heard someone walk around and say, I've been talking to Papa today, and they're talking about their prayer life, we think, that's a little too familiar to suit me, even today. But for Jesus, for Jesus in a culture of Judaism that was so steeped in rigid ritual, he threw all that aside on this night of all nights, and he said, my papa, oh dear God, my papa, <laughs> if it's possible, meaning Jesus could have walked away, that's what Satan wanted him to do. That's why he came now in three waves of temptation, three times of prayer, three distinct waves of temptation. Jesus, you have your rights. You're the son of God. Son of God shouldn't have to die on a cross. Son of God shouldn't be stripped naked and placed on a spit. The son of God shouldn't be beaten. After all, think of who you are. You have your rights. Same thing he did at the start of Jesus' ministry. He said, Jesus, you, you shouldn't have to go through all this life of suffering. Just throw yourself down from the temple. Be a spectacle. You have your rights. God will lift you up. 
Jesus, all those kingdoms your father's promised you, I'll give them to you today. No suffering required. Jesus, I know you're hungry. Goodness, you've been out here 40 days. Eat that. Turn that stone to bread. Let's have the last supper now. Satan's always telling us what our rights are. God tells us what his promises are. So Satan is coming after Jesus hard time. Jesus, you don't know what it is to die. It's not pleasant. You don't have to do this, Jesus. And Jesus agreed. He said, listen, nobody takes my life from me. I offer my life as a ransom for many. I can lay it down and I take it up again. Nobody takes it from me. Jesus, you don't have to do this. Why don't you defect like I did and we'll become a triumph, we'll become a duo against God Almighty. Then if you don't have to go to the cross, there's no hope for man, there's no salvation, there's no covering for sin, but you and I will have a tremendous kingdom. You don't have to do this. Satan wanted so bad to keep Christ from the cross because Satan knew if he ever gets on that cross, every demon and myself are doomed forevermore. And so Jesus is there in prayer. He says he fell down. Can you imagine the weight? Have you ever been so heartbroken that you're going to go to your bedroom and pray? And when you get there, you just drop. The burden is so heavy. Jesus dropped like a rag. And he cries out, Papa. I can't cry like he would have cried. But he cried out, Papa. If it's possible, would you let this cup pass from me? (laughs) But then he did what you and I so often will not do. We go and say, God, I think I shouldn't have to go through this. Where are you? Why are you making me endure this? That did not come out of his mouth. Papa, if it's possible, would you let this cup pass from me? I don't want my will I don't want my will to oversee and override the will of God. So if it cannot be, then let me taste this cup. He got up and went back to see how his disciples were doing, interceding for him. You have really been hurting. And you ask somebody to pray for you and to call them in a couple of days, say, have you prayed for me? Say, about what? They didn't even remember. Jesus went to the leaders of the disciples, Peter, James, and John. These are not just casual attenders. These are the center core. And he goes back in their sleep. Now, don't be hard on them. It was late night. It was after midnight. They were full. They just had roasted lamb and all that goes with it. They'd been a real busy day all day and a full, full week. And uh, it's springtime and that grass is so cool and it's quiet now because everybody else is asleep and It's just so late. And they found themselves, when they closed their eyes to pray, they closed their eyes to sleep. Jesus came back and said, Simon, notice he didn't call him Peter. Simon had backslidden. You only get called Peter. You get to be called your name of honor when you're living with honor. He didn't say Peter. Could you not? He reverted back to the old Peter. Simon... Why did he pick on Simon? Simon said, I'll never, I'll never deny you. I'll die for you, Simon. Could you, not, could you not pray with me? Isn't it interesting? Jesus didn't ask us to die yet. He said, will you live for me? 
Simon, could you not watch one hour? Awake. Watch. Pray. The Bible says he goes back a second time and again he says, if it's not possible, except that I drink this cup, then I'll drink it. Nevertheless, not my will, but time be done. He came back a second time and it doesn't indicate he awakened them. He just saw them sleeping. Now his heart's really heavy. Not with all the burdens he already had. Now his best friends won't even uphold his hands like Aaron and her. They won't even stand and hold up his hands in prayer because he too is weary, but they're not into the fight. He goes back a third time, and he cries louder. I can't imagine. Now it's, he realizes, that right now I've got to have victory over my flesh, and my desire is not to go through this suffering and this di- disobedience of man on my shoulders and, and, and see God turn away. I, if there's any other way, not my will then, but yours be done. The Bible says Jesus went to his disciples and they were still sleeping. And he says, awake. Oh my. Wake up, men. The time has come. The Son of Man's betrayed. Arise. Let's be going. Not away from him. Come on, get up. We got to go face them. He was not a coward. He was courageous. Get up. We're going to go face the men who've come to arrest me. Look, the betrayer is near. Gethsemane is a hard place. I don't like it there. Because I see my own frailty. I wish I could say like, I'm like the master. I'm interceding for the world and I'm crying out to God. Please, God, move. But instead I'm asleep at the throttle. And every time he awakens me, my flesh yields to my, 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 my flesh yields and has authority over me more than my spirit. And I, I do those things that give me relief in the moment, but not release with the Spirit of God. And I'm sleeping. I'll tell you what you can take away from Gethsemane. Jesus Christ, who's the Lord of life said, I, I want you to be praying. Now, some of us say, and me too sometimes, how in the world does my praying help a national election? How in the world does my praying change the country? How, how does my praying change the world? I, I don't know. But God wouldn't have told us to do it if it didn't have an effect. Jesus said, I want you to pray with me for the hour is late. It is, you know. The Bible says Satan is moving like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. I've seen a lot of casualties, haven't you? But sadly, the church is not praying yet. Evidently, the blood's not deep enough yet, and the violence and hatred not deep enough yet. The church is still not, we're not to prayer yet, are we? The Bible says you need to watch and pray so you will not be overcome with temptation. And here's the deal. That same Jesus who wept in Gethsemane is about to come as a glorious king. And just as he came to find his disciples, he's coming for his own. And when he comes, I sure pray he doesn't find us sleeping, but watchful, obedient, prayerful, 
steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Would you stand with me?